It's like tipping loads of ants into a bucket and watching them lose themselves in an orgy of internecine violence. Welcome to the Electronic Wireless Show, the Rock Paper Shotgun Electronic Wireless Show. It is episode 79 on the 25th of April. I'm Brendan Caldwell. There is no Alice Bale this week. She's gone somewhere else. Uh, But we do have two other people. We've got uh, with us Graham Smith. Hello. Much. I'm I'm, I'm twice the editor that Alice Bale is. You're officially. Officially twice the editor that she is. You are the editor. <laughs> and we have Nate Crowley. Is it Crowley or Crowley? I'm going to get this wrong. Crowley's good, like the bird. Right, good. And we have <laughs> Nate Crowley. That's it now, forever. That's that's how we pronounce your name from now on. That's canon. Yeah, that's fine. I'm uh, I'm the section editor. I edit all the sections. We still don't know what section you are editor of. My section. The neat, the neat words. You deal with the neat words. Um, you were with us at our live podcast, which we did a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, this is actually my first non-live RPS podcast. But it'll be good. It'll be good. We're talking about a subject that is close to everyone's hearts. Being a traitor. Ah, uh, yes. Betrayal. Which one of us is going to betray the others during this podcast? Oh, I should have come up with some kind of mini-game where one of us has a bad a bad card. One of us is the red person and the other is our green. I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I don't want to, to get you paranoid, but just think which of it, uh, which of us was it who spent half an hour um, making various astonishing technological cock-ups to stop this podcast even <laughs> happening. We might have a saboteur in our midst, even as we speak. If we get to the end of this podcast and I try to listen back to all of the audio files, Nian, and yours is just one long audio file of you saying a swear word over and over again, I'll know it was you. <laughs> yeah, between absolutely every sentence I'm saying, I'm uh, putting the microphone on mute but continuing to record and just eating crisps really breathily uh, into my headset. It's actually my nightmare. Uh, so we, are, with that. we are talking about betrayal this week. Betrayal, treachery, treason, if you will, thanks to a, a, a reader, a listener, Tom Van Leeuwen wrote to us and said that uh, he wanted to hear us talk about this. He said, Dear RPS, perhaps I have a bit of a masochistic streak. 
but I enjoy being on the receiving end of a well-written betrayal in a video game. The kind of backstabbery that can add some real spice to an otherwise lackluster story. It might be a nice topic for a podcast. Um, says Tom. He given some examples of uh, Dragon Age Origins and some betrayals in Baldur's Gate 2 and Bioshock and so forth. Um, a backstabbery sounds like a really stressful version of like a carvery. A backstabbery. <laughs> so you go down to the backstabbery on Sunday. Yeah, like a, a mid-tier chain pub where you just go to get subtly betrayed by a waiter. I could see that working as a theme restaurant. It's like the restaurant in London that's famous for its rude waiters in Chinatown. Oh yeah, Four Seasons. Bloody love that, actually. Best best duck in the country. Uh, so, uh, I will have to have add. I'll probably have added a spoiler warning at the beginning of this podcast for everything we are about to have talking about. If that makes sense. But I'll do that. Cool. So we're we gonna get in some some deep plot then. We may. It depends what you've brought, Nate. What have you brought to the backstabbing podcast? What examples of backstabbery did you well, enjoy? I I was racking my mind for uh, instances of being done over in a game, um, and I thought of. Yeah, sort of a lot of the, the classics that you'd find on sort of top 10 lists. Um, but then, really, the one that shone through for me was one of my first experiences of uh, PC gaming. In fact, my first home experience of PC gaming, uh, TIE Fighter, um, the astonishing Star Wars um, flight sim uh, that I can't believe hasn't been remade uh, in the, the 25-odd years since it came out. Um and it wasn't much to look at, uh, but it was there was a lot there in terms of narrative, surprisingly, um, for what could have been a, a pretty empty combat flight sim. Uh, I remember there was a particular mission, because you, you've been... The whole gimmick of the game is you're playing as the, the bad guys, right? You are flying the TIE Fighter, which is the, uh, the, the ship the Naughty Men fly in Star Wars. Um... And you get used to being the villains, right? You get to, uh, you start seeing the Star Destroyers as big, positive, uh, reassuring slabs of gunmetal in space, uh, rather than menacing ones. And you really start to see the world that way. Uh, and then there's one mission where you're sent um, to like join another squadron uh, with another admiral uh, for a routine mine-laying mission. Uh, but as you go about the mission, uh, it turns out he's rendezvousing with rebel ships and doing some sort of sneaky traitor business. And you're sort of thinking, oh, hang on, what? This is this is a bit below board. Um, and it, it, so the whole thing's got a bit of a sort of um, bent cops vibe to it. And then suddenly they realize you're loyal. And there's this bizarre bit of dialogue. Uh, where the the flight controller, who's usually supporting you and giving you instructions, says, Gamma 1 is the Emperor's stool pigeon. Gamma 2 and 3, destroy them. And immediately your squad mates turn on you. And it's all very dramatic, but the reason it stayed in my mind for 25 years 
It's because I didn't know what the hell a stool pigeon was. <laughs> <laughs> so it just seemed like a really lame roast. Why were they accusing me of being some sort of chair bird? Uh, and it, it distracted me so much, I got shot to pieces by the traitors. Uh, but no, I've always cherished that one. I'm glad that you uh, really embraced your role as a kind of sci-fi fascist uh, in that world, <laughs> to the point where you were like, you didn't want to, you didn't like that they were defecting to the rebels. I was outraged, yeah. I'd really bought into it. Um, it's, uh, as an 11 year old, you know, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, a chilling example of the indoctrination that can be suffered by child soldiers, I suppose. <laughs> you know, at Disney Land or Disney World now, they do like stormtrooper marches where the stormtroopers march around in all their finery with music blaring and a Sith Lord will come out and intimidatingly bully people in the crowd <laughs> while all the little children sit on their mum and dad's shoulders and, and watch <laughs> and watch the pretend Nazis. <laughs> yeah, in a way, that might not be all right. <laughs> <laughs> I liked, I, I, I'm kind of comforted to know that well, it's, this isn't just some modern... I think that this was also happening 25 years ago when children were sat at their PCs playing video games. When I first saw Empire Strikes Back when I was four, I was terrified of Darth Vader. But the first thing I wanted to do after the film uh, was dress up as him. So my dad uh, cut two holes in a waste paper basket and taped a bin liner over it and then made me a bin liner cape. And I walked around the house making like huffing noises um so yeah i suppose oh gosh the roots are deep in me aren't they yeah you are a very loyal loyal member of the empire did you think that uh in the new movies whenever the main character defects do you think that he's a kind of edward snowden whistleblower type who deserves to be brought back and tried <laughs> for treason uh I, I i don't know but the big rule in our house is you know, like in some houses, they have like those twee boards, which say, this house runs on coffee. Uh, my wife um, keeps threatening to have one made up saying, in this house, we really fancy Adam Driver. Um, <laughs> and we do. We really don't think Kylo can do any wrong, even though he's a very, very, very awful man. He's just got such big, reassuring hands. <laughs> Graham, mm -hmm. I, I need to know what what traitor you like to be or to have been betrayed by? I suppose I do like to be the traitor, but I prefer it in multiplayer games. And so I've actually, I've told this story before on RPS, but it was like a decade ago now. Um, are you, either of you familiar with Nipchin's Pride? Oh, <laughs> oh, are we ever? But maybe you should tell the listener. <laughs> so Neptune's Parade is a real-time strategy game, sci-fi, played over an enormous timescale. So I only ever played one game of it, and it took two and a half months. Um, it's very simple interface. You've got a bunch of planets. They're just dots. You're making lots of little spaceships on your planets. They're just triangles. And then you can send your spaceships to neighboring planets in order to claim them as your own. 
Um, but when you send off your spaceship to go, it's going to set off and it might take eight hours or it might take 24 hours for it to actually reach its destination. And it's going to play out in real time. On those planets, you can then develop them along economic, military or scientific research paths. Um, and scientific research might allow your ships to travel a little bit faster. Economic, economics are what you use to, in order to afford to buy ships and, and so on and so on. Um, and... We played an eight-player match, and this was, like I say, it was about ten years ago, but it was Jim and Kieran from RPS. It was me and Tom Francis. We were at PC Gamer at the time, and then it was a bunch of like freelancers and friends to make up the, the, the other four players. And it, it just, because it happened in real time, and it just lived in your browser, it just obsessed me for the full <laughs> two and a half months. I did basically nothing else every day, but... Like you think, oh, I'm just going to send off this spaceship and then I don't have to think about it for 12 hours because that's how long it's going to take to get to its destination. And then I can go and see, did it succeed in capturing the planet? But it doesn't work that way. It just takes up so much of your brain because you're constantly plotting. It's a very simple game with very few mechanics, but to replace that stuff, we all started sending DMs to each other and making alliances and saying, hey, let's let's team up and take down Quinns over there in the West. And then once you'd started that war, you would turn on the person that you'd partnered up with and you would betray them. And so there was this kind of constant back and forth of everyone had betrayed everyone else at least once, and in some <laughs> cases multiple times, because you've got no choice really but to form alliances. And it had gone on for literally two months, and we were getting pretty exhausted. We needed this game to end. Um, and so Kieran and I, because we were one of the four players left, I think it came down to Quinn's gym, Kieran and I. And Kieran and I said, all right, look, we've betrayed each other a couple of times each, but let's end this. Let's make an actual piece that lasts. Jim's going to finish off Quinn's, and then me and Kieran will team up, and we'll finish off Jim, and whoever wins wins but the moral of the story can be that peace prevailed and that teamwork prevailed in some sense um and so that's what we did and we we kept that alliance up for a couple of weeks as slowly we went through the attritional process of wearing down planetary defenses building up our own armies moving them these enormous distances to capture planets until i did the math <laughs> and and oh, worked no. out that if things continued the way they were, Kieran was going to win. He was going to end up with four or five more planets than me, because just the way the like the the maps were randomly generated in terms of the positions of the planets, and so the way it worked out was Kieran was gobbling up the last of Jim's planets, and I had nowhere to gobble. All I could gobble up was Kieran's planets um, because there was no way to send your ships to a planet and mark them as friendly and like rest there as a friendly port or anything. If your if your ships arrived on a planet, they would attack and destroy part of the spaceships that were there as part of the fleet. Um, and so I did the math and I was thinking to myself, well, at this point, it's not really in the spirit of the game, right? Like... You play this game to win it. That's what we've done for the last two and a half months. I love that you're it's, just trying to justify. I'm just trying to set up a justification for what you're about to admit to us. I'm basically not really playing the game anymore, am I? I'm just I'm just watching Kieran play the game, and that's not really in the spirit of it. And and when you know that 
these things take hours to reach their destination, you start to think about what the other person you're playing against is doing. So, like, if, because if they know that those ships are headed towards them because they've researched good enough sonar or whatever that they can they can see the spaceship coming from far away, then they're just going to move their fleet around in order to reinforce the planet that you're obviously sending those spaceships towards. And so what you would do is you would wait until that person went to bed at night and you would make your attack at <laughs> two in the morning <laughs> so that by the time they got up, it was too late. They couldn't get reinforcements <laughs> to the planet in time and that sort of stuff. And so I that sat there. That is ghastly. And so I sat there, you know, until Kieran's little MSN icon went grey to mark that he had gone offline. Uh, and then I sent a lot of ships to his planets to do what the game was requiring <laughs> me to do. Um, now, there's there's extra context to this. You really um, which, this. <laughs> there's extra context to this, which is the reason Kieran's icon had gone grey, the reason he'd gone offline, was he was going to a drinks meetup in London with some friends because his comic series at the time, Phonogram, was coming to an end. The second series hadn't been picked up, hadn't sold more copies than the first, and so it wasn't getting a third series. Um, and so he phrased it as he was at a wake for his comic series. <laughs> and so he comes back from the pub uh, and he looks at Neptune's Bride and he sees what I've done. Well, and... he was on a wake, you horrible person. <laughs> That's how he phrased it. Um it was just a comic. It wasn't like a real person died. It's fine. Uh, and he started to gift me planets because that was one of the things you could do. You could give a planet to another person. He basically said, all right, if you want to win badly enough, here you go, take the planets. I don't want them. And he started <laughs> oh, did he turn the other gifting me planets. A guilt trip. <laughs> At which point, yeah, basically, I felt so guilty I started gifting them back as fast as I could <laughs> so that I wouldn't win. Uh, and so we got in this situation where he's gifting me planets. I realise what he's doing. I start gifting them back plus more. <laughs> if only real wars were <laughs> guilt like this. Like, oh, no, we don't, we don't actually want, we don't actually want the, this part of Ukraine. It's fine. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We'll give it back. <laughs> that, that's the most British end possible to an interstellar conflict. <laughs> And so, like, when Kieran logged in, like, an hour later after gifting me all these planets to see that he hadn't won, he saw what I'd done. And we ended up talking that night at, like, midnight or something on MSN. Um, you know, and he phrased it as, like, he knew that guilt was his weapon, basically, against me to maintain the peace and stop me doing, ultimately, what I did do. Um but I don't think that's wholly true. I think that was him putting on a front. I think he was genuinely upset that I attacked him. <laughs> um, uh, and, so, and so the game ended and Kieran did win. But it was this... It was such a messy thing. And I, like, I quite like playing the duplicitous spy character in games. That's the character I would play in Team Fortress 2. If I'm playing the Battlestar Galactica board game or something like that, I want to be the Cylon. That's the, the thing I enjoy doing. Um, but this was the first time, I think, I did actually feel properly guilty 
like, oh, I've, I've done a bad thing. Like, we had, we had an agreement, and it, the gr- agreement was based on the fact that we were tired of being betrayed and betraying. Let's try and create a different narrative ending to this weird journey we'd all been on. You broke um, the accord. You I, broke the accord. I did break the accord. And, you know, Kieran won in the end, because I gave, gifted him enough planets to make that happen. Um, but it was weird. And we, we wrote Niptune's Pride up as a diary on RPS, so it's like a... We wrote it on RPS and PC Gamer, in fact. It was like a partnership between the two sites. And it's like an eight-part thing. And the last part deals with that betrayal and includes a bunch of, like, RMSN logs, chat logs and stuff like that. So we can drop a link to that into the show notes. Have you ever played Diplomacy? Um, No. No, actually, I haven't. It's It's kind of similar to what... Y- the game design, at least, um, has quite a lot in common with Neptune's Pride. It's essentially a super stripped-down risk uh, with no dice rolls involved. Um, you've got a map of Europe and up to seven players, I think, and you start with a couple of armies and a couple of fleets and a few territories. And it's very simple. You, there are PC versions, but they're all, no one's really quite nailed it. Um, so it's usually played on a board and played via like email over a large span of time and okay. essentially everyone submits a secret order um at the end of the week and then they all play out at once and if you move into territories that are unguarded you take them really really simple um but if you play like with one move a week the full week is taken up by horrific conspiratorial discussions Mm. uh, where you're constantly trying to gauge whether you trust the other person to do what they say they're going to do Um, so the you know and again because the game's so simple your mind is completely occupied um, by paranoia because you're not concentrating on loads of mechanics it's very very simple stuff so all of your processing time is, is free to worry about the other people you're playing with and because you're investing such colossal amounts of time in it, just as you experience with Neptune's Pride, the consequences of betrayal can be frighteningly real. Uh, <laughs> the guilt can be real. There is also a um, a kind of successor to Neptune's Pride called Subterfuge, which is uh, very similar, that you can play on, I think, phones and stuff. Uh, yeah, but but like... it's su- submarines instead of spaceships and uh, things like that. I really love subterfuge actually because it's it's submarines rather than spaceships, but they also you have like characters with special abilities, sort of that are just little icons that you can load into your submarines, and so you can put like a queen on your submarine, and that will give you certain abilities with that submarine, or a su- uh, or I I think I think in fact you can put a a. A saboteur on board a submarine, and that you know that can be a little character that then does something specific once they reach their destination. And I played one game of Subterfuge, and it only took two weeks rather than two and a half months. And I played it with strangers, or rather, I think people were from like a Discord community that I didn't really know in person. So that if I did betray anyone, it was didn't feel so personal. But also, what I ended up doing is decided I wouldn't betray anyone. I would keep my word. Any promise I made to anyone throughout the entire game i would keep and i won i ended up winning that match and so that felt like that restore your faith in humanity 
Well, it felt like personal character growth. <laughs> you know, the, the six years between. Like, I feel like you could draw a narrative through line. Like, season one, I, I, I betray people. I'm in it for myself. Season six, I've learned some lessons and I'm a noble character trying to redeem myself. You're the Jamie Lannister of this. <laughs> yeah, but with hopefully slightly less incest. Uh, we haven't spoken about one uh, thing that be- betrayal and treachery uh, happens in a lot, and that's EVE Online, which has a ridiculous amount of stories of betrayal of people. EVE Online, the big uh, spaceship MMO. Uh, there are so many tales of people go- getting to the top of their corporation or their you know, second in command of their corporation and then suddenly just stealing everything that 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 group has and then selling it off to someone or like trading ownership of it to somewhere else or just flushing it out somewhere or uh yeah those are they're so um affecting aren't they because again the amount of investment both of time and well actual money uh in in the game by people yeah, just so really ups the stakes, doesn't this it? This is what I mean. It's like if uh, if you think Kieran was upset at this two month long game that ended uh, acrimoniously because of your disgusting betrayal. Let's be honest, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you think he was upset, like think how personal it f- must feel to people in a corporation in Eve Online who are stabbed in the back by their leader. Or suddenly wake up one day and see that their chief financial officer has run off with the company jewels. <laughs> like, yeah, that would really weigh on your beans, wouldn't it? It really does. Um, but hang on, we had wee on your beans. <laughs> Took me a second. To... <laughs> <laughs> Just thought I'd make up a new idiom. It's good, isn't it? It would be on your beans. Uh, but yeah, I love EVE Online because it's basically Game of Thrones but with more logistics. That's the thing that's missing most from Game of Thrones, I think. Logistics, yes. <laughs> Especially the later season. Now I'm just imagining... I've, I've read the books years ago, but I haven't seen the show. There's like a man who's called like... Um, he's like the wolf, isn't he? The wolf. Yeah, I'm thinking of Wolf from Gladiators, sorry. No, the Hound. I can really imagine him leaning out of the window of a of a lorry. Um yeah, just running a logistics firm. I think that'd be a lovely uh lovely spin off. Ruined by the fact I didn't know the man's name, but there we are. The wolf. <laughs> ah yes. It's you, the Basset. The Basset Hound. Well, I was thinking of the big wolves, like the the sort of the the horse wolves, the, the, ba- the um, yeah, the main the atrocity wolves, yeah, the bad wolves, yeah. There you go. Um, let's. Are there any other uh, betrayals or traitors? Are there any traitor characters in like a story game that you enjoy? Anytime most, you've been betrayed most, that didn't feel like it was expected. It feels like it's a difficult thing to do in most story games. And I thought Nate's example was really interesting. But I think it's difficult because 
game developers are so frightened of pissing off their audience, they don't want the player to feel cheated in any way, because that's just the point at which a player might just turn off the game and not come back. And so they feel like maybe they have to telegraph the betrayal more so that it feels like a more of an, a narrative inevitability. Because I can, I can think of very few games where I don't know exactly who is going to betray me from the first hour, even if they're not going to betray me till hour 10. And so the Star Wars example where you're actually, you're already on the bad side is really interesting. Yeah, because there it's sort of acceptable, right? Because the betrayal is actually someone turning good. Yeah, like I think I think Dishonored One is really one of the worst offenders for this. Where obviously there's the betrayal in the the opening, not cutscene because it doesn't really have cutscenes, but the the very first level of the game. But then when you meet your your co-conspirators in your attempts to avenge the queen or whatever the heck it is you're trying to do in that game i can't remember now like you meet them in this pub this dank pub and immediately it's obvious that these snitty assholes are going to turn on you at some point maybe that's just because i'd never trust posh people (laughs) (laughs) i think it's a good uh yeah i guess i'll champion something a bit unexpected here um I don't know why this just popped into my head, but I- I'm going to actually put in a good word for Flibble Glibble Pants here. Um, Flibble Glibble Pants. Yeah, the third instalment of Flibble Glibble Pants, uh, San Andreas, um, which I remember enjoying in 2005. And the guy who betrays you in that uh, was a-, a big fellow in a green bowler hat. Uh, called Big Smoke. I don't know why he was named after an aphorism for London. Um, I think because he was big and he smoked. Um, (laughs) But he was a really sort of affable guy. Um, And it wasn't that surprising, a betrayal when it happened. You know, he becomes uh, one of the sort of main antagonists uh, after being your mate throughout the game. But, you know, in fairness to the game, they made him a really likeable... yeah, fairly nuanced character, uh, and when he does betray you, it's clear he did it because you know he was a no one growing up, and suddenly he had a bit of something and really wanted to be somebody, uh, and and so his decisions got out of hand. You know, so there was some attempt at social commentary in there, and you felt sorry to lose him as a friend, but at the same time, you you know you just quickly accepted that that was he was now the thing the game wanted you to shoot. So it was only so nuanced. Did you see um, recently someone modded Resident Evil 2, the remake, the recent remake, so that you play as CJ from San Andreas <laughs> and uh, the tyrant, Mr. Trenchcoat Man, um, <laughs> is, is that character is Big Smoke. <laughs> Have they changed the, uh, the voice lines as well? Yes, yeah. So that you can hear like Big smoke <laughs> saying the lines he says in in flibble glibble pants, San Andreas to your character as he as he hits him. <laughs> this might be my new favorite reskin, uh, overtaking the Thomas the Tank Engine dragons from Skyrim. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. So that's a good lot of traders. I think we traded ourselves out. Any last 
any last betrayals. There's no new knives to stick in your backs, no. No. Nope. Okay. We should talk about something else then. Perhaps what we've been playing this week. Well, I, I'll actually start this segment off with a betrayal. I said there were no more betrayals, but that was a betrayal in itself. Um, all the time we've been talking, I've been playing Imperator Rome. Uh, or rather, I've been watching it play itself. Dastardly, dastardly podcast friend. Uh, all what do you the mean? time. What do you mean you've been watching it play? Well, this is maybe this has always been in the... Um, the Paradox Grand Strategy games, but I didn't realise when you start a new game, it gives you that big map and you can choose as any sort of extant political entity to play as, there's a little tick box which says Observe, and you can choose to play as none of them, and just watch what all of the AI nations do. It's like tipping loads of ants into a bucket and watching them lose themselves in an orgy of internecine violence. So I've had the game running by itself for about uh, an hour now, and the game's been running for about 50 years in-game. Um, and yeah, I'm just watching Rome absolutely stack it in its attempt to unify southern Italy. I, great. I want you to uh, do the thing that we always do and explain Imperator Rome for anyone who doesn't know what it is. So Imperator Rome is the latest iteration um, in Paradox's series of, of big grand strategy games. And as I say, they are all basically um, history simulators. Uh, they uh, make a big map, which you look down on from above, um, and they model... They take a certain point in history, um, and in this game, uh, it's around about uh, 304 BC, which is when the Roman Republic was founded, and they take a snapshot of that moment in history, and they model every single political entity that existed at that time, and they put them all on this big map, which has got sort of 7 billion trillion provinces on it, um, and you can choose to play as any one of them. You can choose to play as a little rubbish one, um, or one of the big superpowers at the time. Uh, so at the time of Imperator starting, of course, you've got the Roman Republic. Uh, you've got Carthage, just starting to get up to no good in the Mediterranean. Uh, you've got uh, Alexander the Great's empire has fallen apart, and all of the successor states are squabbling uh, all over Greece and uh, and everywhere to the east of that. So you can choose any one of these uh, these nations, and you start the clock ticking and you play forward from that moment in time. And it's great because um, the game really doesn't care who you are. Um, it will do it, like I say, you can run it without any player interaction at all. It'll just run itself. These nations will fight each other. They'll rise and they'll fall. Uh, and it's kind of up to you um, to survive in the middle of all that. And if you're very good, maybe you'll carve out a big empire for yourself, or maybe you'll just get steamrolled by elephants because you started next to some, you know, enormous North African power. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool, um, as a sort of a slow paced strategy game. And it's also a pretty good history lesson if you're a big nerd like me. 
Can you be um, the kind of like tribal peoples of Northern Europe and stuff like that? Yeah, actually, I just um, I, as soon as I started the game, of course, Paradox has set out all of these sort of fascinating scenarios you could get involved in, like the successor states or Rome or, or Egypt. And of course, I immediately jumped in and played as a bunch of druids squabbling <laughs> in a marsh in Norfolk. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, about 80% of my playtime with the game has just been as these yokels from East Anglia uh, desperately attempting to unify the British Isles uh, <laughs> so they can sort of fortify against it for when the Romans invade. Uh, it's Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, they're just nobodies, and I'm making them somebodies. Uh, one of the things that, like, let's see, I, I like Paradox Games, uh, the grand strategy ones, like Crusader Kings 2 and Stellaris. Does it still have a sense of, like, a story being told? Like, because in Crusader Kings 2, there's a lot of characters, like people, people, and you can kind of follow their lives and see what yeah. they're and then in Stellaris there are you know the alien species kind of ha- every every nation in space kind of has its own character in in the species is that something that's there or is this a bit more dry than that it's they've they've incorporated I think some of that uh, I'm certainly because Europa Universalis 4 which was the last one of these that I played uh, was pretty good um, but it was largely a matter of just trying to build up the biggest blob on the map that you could, and that was kind of it, really. Uh, this, they folded in some of the character dynamics from Crusader Kings 2, which I loved. Um, it doesn't go quite as bananas as that game did. Now, I, I loved CK2 because mid-game, you know, the sudden onset of venereal disease in one of your rulers could lead to them making catastrophic decisions and before you know it, you've gone from running a decent principality in Northern Europe um, to, to having a, a tiny scrap of the Holy Land uh, ruled over by a, an autocratic madman uh, and you don't know quite how it's got there because events spiral out of control due to people's wild personalities. In this you've got a little bit of that. Um, it's still pretty much about guiding a nation but if you play as Rome for example you've got the Senate um, and you can't just decide to war people up. Uh, you have to get the motion passed through the Senate. And if you want to do that, you need to make sure that the factions who like war are well represented in the Senate. So you're nice um, to the people in those factions and, and try and subtly pull the strings to stuff the house with people who are going to, to push through your mad warmongering. Um, and again, that all relies upon knowing the characters of the people involved. You know whether they've uh, they're more susceptible to bribery. Um, if they're a bit fighty, you might make them a gladiator and have them gladiate um, someone who won't go through with the things you want. So yeah, it's it, it it's it's a decent mix of those RPG elements and the the, the more dry strategy stuff. We will have a review up of it soon as well, so I'll link to that. Um, Graham, hmm, what have you been I've, playing? Um, I've been playing a game which I think has a lot of overlap with Imperator Rome in terms of 
warring factions. Um, I've been playing the Tokoboka games. Are, you, are either of you familiar with those? The what? So Tokoboka are a company which make apps for children. Um, and as, as Nate was talking, I've been hunting around to see w- desperately whether I can justify talking about these on the podcast. And as far as I can tell, there's a bunch of them which are for sale through the Microsoft Store that say that they're out and available for PC. I'm going to explore that more later because so far I've been playing them on iPad. And I play them with my three-year-old. We got the iPad supposedly for for me and my partner and for some work reasons about two months ago and it's basically just my three-year-old's ipad at this point and it's his first experience with games really and we primarily play these tokoboka games which are for example there's two different main kinds the one which is like based around different kinds of jobs so you get like toka hair salon and you're just cutting different characters hair combing it coloring it styling it and that sort of stuff um and those are great like really well animated really fun and reactive to play with you get all these different silly tools for styling the hair and the hair is this kind of physicsy mess so you get some characters that have curly hair that you can straighten and that sort of stuff um and then the other kind are like based around different locations so you'll get like Toka Life School or Toka Life Hospital or Toka Life City and that sort of thing and they're almost like scribble knots without the puzzles like and with a with a different mode of interaction so like with scribble knots what's fun is that you can type things in and that thing spawns and then you can combine it with the other items in the scene and and have those like fun interactions and supposedly you're solving these puzzles but i don't think anyone actually ever really cares about that it's more about hey it's funny that i can make this thing appear and then hey it's funny that it does this little interaction if i make it appear at the same time as this other character and toka life games have the same sort of thing so like there's toka life pets is one of them um and it where do these come from there'll be like a little little town of like four different locations, five different locations that you can go to, and each of the locations will be filled with different items and different objects, and then you can drop characters and animals into it, and and then like just you just poke around and you drag things on top of each other and see what happens and hey oh yeah you can stack these four animals on top of each other and hey if i there's a secret button there on that tree if i press that that button that causes these mushrooms to pop out of the ground and then if i tap the mushrooms a secret door opens and then i get some more items like a sleeping bag that i can use on this character over here and and it's it's amazing for three-year-olds obviously um <laughs> my kid loves it my kid loves it primarily because for example you can put a dog in a litter tray and then the dog does a poop and then you can take the poop and you can feed it to the dog or you can feed oh it to my the god <laughs> and and the, and the people always eat whatever if it's if it's obviously it's like I can sort of see how these games are made, where there's certain properties and then they just draw a little sprite and assign the properties to that sprite. So certain things just get marked as edible and anything that's 
fed to someone if it's edible they smile after it and more, you could f- you can find ice creams and you can construct the ice cream so you'll find a cone and then you'll find the ice cream and you can put the ice cream on the cone and then you can find like a little flake and you can put that in the ice cream and it's now it's nice and now it's an ice cream with a cone and then you could feed that to someone and they smile and that's a nice interaction for a three-year-old but obviously they've just marked the poop as edible and so whoever <laughs> you feed it to it with human dog anything they smile after they eat it my kid Aww. thinks this is hilarious i secretly think it's quite funny as well um Brent, Brandon, yeah, so do, do you feel that your brain's taken a hard left turn <laughs> into a deep cough medicine fever dream i feel like um i just i just feel weird like they're called tocoboco which sounds like you're saying in spanish touch my like it's weird touch your what mice oh <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, maybe not. Maybe that's what it is. I think they're a Danish company or Scandinavian in any case. Um, but all, all the, all the, all, as well as it being great for my three-year-old, like I, the art's lovely. The animations of always lovely. There and the interactions are actually fun and satisfying to do. And then I've started discovering that there's secrets. So if you go to the hospital, there's like button presses you can do in order to discover like a secret lab underneath the hospital. And I find myself getting more drawn into this world of children's games. And it reminds me so much of, so I wrote, have you played on RPS like six no it must be less than that four years ago four or five years ago about a game i couldn't remember the name of and i just described the game and someone in the comments suggested that it was something called compact launchpad which was a a thing if you bought a compact pc in the 90s it would come with like some example cds of thing your things your pc could do and launchpad was one of the things it was designed to be essentially like an operating system for kids like where they could have pretend files they could drag and drop around and stuff like that without messing up your actual PC files. But as part of that, they also had these like animated scenes of the one I remembered was a dog in a car looking upon a rocket ship off in the distance. And then you could like click the horn in the car and it would beep and you could click on the dog and it would whiff and all this sort of stuff. I was old enough at this point that I wasn't the target audience, but there were always little kids around my house, and so they all loved it. And so Tokoboka feels like the extension of that thing from the 90s that all those little kids loved then. And there's there's so much of this. You're basically like rolling back into your toddler years. Essentially, not my toddler years, because like I said, I was like probably like 10 or something. Like when I was a toddler, this stuff didn't exist at all. When I was a toddler, I was playing, I guess the equivalent was like little computer people on the Amstrad, which had like a command line prompt where you could like type in play piano over and over again and the little computer person wouldn't ever do what the what you actually wanted him to do but occasionally he would he would go to the piano and you would get like a bleepy bloopy version of the entertainer played out on the piano i loved that when i was a toddler but this stuff like this stuff that kids have i'm such a dad thing to say but the stuff these kids have these days is incredible they don't know they're born i'm i'm really interested in uh in leaping into the world of of you know dad point of view software uh, my daughter's now nine months old, so I reckon. Well, when did when when did uh, your son start playing games? Really, only the last couple of months. Like we kept him away from most technology other than a bit of television until quite recently, 
because because me and my partner know enough to be slightly frightened of their power. Um, and yeah, like the second, the second that Ira, my my son, played on the iPad, that was it. He was completely obsessed, and it's the first thing he says every morning at the moment is iPad, iPad, iPad. Um, <laughs> and he won't, you know, we we can, we can barely get it out of his hands at night to get him to go to bed and stuff like that. Um, we're trying to like limit screen time and that sort of thing. I think I'm just um, resigned to my daughter making us a fortune streaming Fortnite before she's two and a half. <laughs> so, I I know lots of parents that like introduce their kids much earlier than that, and like I think it's 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 fine really. Like your your kid will take to it at whatever age. I think you introduce these sorts of things to them, and Iro would have had the dexterity, I think, to interact with and enjoy some of these apps like a whole two years ago. Um, but yeah, just oh, everything, everything consumes them at this sort of age is the thing. So like, even if we just introduce, I don't know, a, a new new ball that makes a noise when you roll it, like that would just obsess him for three days. And the problem with the iPad is just there's basically an infinite number of balls that make noises that you can install on it, and so it just constantly refreshes itself. Um, I found my my daughter's really enchanted by Hearthstone. Um, she she likes all the colourful sort of, you know, blooms of light and things like that. She's a delightful time. She bloody hates Imperator. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dad, play the boring game. Yeah, she, she, she did tenderly stroke the Phrygian Empire at one point, which was quite a touching moment. But yeah, other than that, zero interest. Alright, I'm cutting the dad chat here. <laughs> I was gonna say well actually like my my kid did get obsessed with Journey about six months ago and he and he still talks about it now. And so like I'd never actually completed Journey before, but I've now completed it like two or three times because he enjoys watching me play it so much and he likes just pushing the analog stick and walking around. And the like a couple of weeks ago I told him we were going on a journey on a train and that was the first time I'd ever used the word journey outside of the context of the video game. Oh, and so he was just like, he just thinks it's a journey is a video game. So immediately he was like over at the TV, like, yay, let's play journey. I've been playing Heaven's Vault, which is uh, too good to talk about. So Too good to talk about, did you say? I don't want to spoil any more of it. I, spo- I spoiled something like three translations. Heaven's Fall is a translation game. I spoiled, spoiled like three lines of it in a news post. I got shouted at by someone in the comments. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'll get in trouble again. Um, we should see what other people have betrayed. How other people have betrayed or been betrayed. Uh, because we asked our readers that. <laughs> course a couple of mentions for would you kindly in bioshock uh which i would discuss but i think comprehensively explored the subject through the medium of theater um in the last podcast we did so let's not let's not go into that uh it's already been very thoroughly shaken down we've got one person shane o'brien says that if their friend uh, if their friend Phil spawned in the back row in Rainbow Six, he couldn't resist shooting you in the back of the head right as the round started. <laughs> <laughs>
That's good. Who is Baton Kaitos? Baton Kaitos. No, but it's a good name, isn't it? It's a good name. Whatever game that's from. That's that's a traitor. Uh, someone's brought up one of my faves, Space Station 13. Uh, the Doctor who had... This was... Um, <laughs> uh, Alexis M4ES. Um, not not the easiest to pronounce handle. Uh, but said, in Space Station 13, the Doctor who had saved so many lives throughout the shift had in fact infected everybody with a slow-acting virus that showered the station in gore when it finally kicked in. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Uh, that was oh, that was a great game for um for real slow burn betrayals. Tomaj Frakievich, excuse me if I've got your name wrong, says uh, Crusader Kings two. I was the traitor, made a friend, a holy warrior who helped me win many wars. I rewarded him with land and a wife from my dynasty. Some years passed, and in a fit of dementia, I accidentally revoked his title, <laughs> inciting an open revolt. And he spent the rest of his days in a nubliette. <laughs> that was a special game. Quite a lot of mentions for um, the uh, Knights of the Old Republic games. Um, interesting. Could you call the big twist in Knights of the Old Republic a, 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 a betrayal, really? Uh, in Knights of the Old Republic 2, there was a betrayal. I don't know about the first one. I thought, yeah, it was as I remember it in in the first one. Actually, the big shock in the first one was that the absolutely vile robot doesn't betray you. <laughs> I I love the way. I mean, talk about telegraphing absolute. B it could not have been any more clear with that robot, and yet no, they were completely reasonable right to the end. Uh, I think the betrayal in Cotter 1 was all the people telling me the game was great, but then I played it and thought it was rubbish. Savage. The ultimate betrayal. Fox Fairline says about Team Fortress 2, It always feels weird when you overheal an enemy spy by accident and get the assist kill on your heavy friend. Yeah, I'm just trying to think if there are other sort of multi-class shooters where betrayal is baked into the game, like with the spy in TF2. Because I can think of lots of sort of stealth characters, uh, but nothing... Yeah, nothing so elegant as that, really. Yeah, um... The Mind Makers in Dark Souls 3 are a kind of you can summon people in Dark Souls games to be your friend and come and help you. And the Mind Makers are like this purple-coloured summon that you can get to come and help you. But they can still hurt you if they want. And it's this kind of like uneasy alliance whereby you think, okay, well, maybe they'll help me and they'll, you know, get something out of it that way. Or maybe they will turn on me in the last minute and stab me in the back. Uh... But, oh, I love that sort of uncertainty. Well, it's really good, except that there's if you are playing as like a player and a, you know you you're bringing a purple person into your 
there's no, there's no reason to choose like a purple mad mind maker man uh over anyone else it's like it's kind of like a last resort you know if you if you can't get anyone else to help you you have to have one of these unpredictable people to come in uh and otherwise there's no reason to leave them alive I really like the tension, though, of allies who don't have to be allies. Um, a few years ago, I the only time I ever played World of Warcraft, I was streaming it, um, and I was right. I was role playing a man who was badly role playing as Gandalf from Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> so I, I'd never played World of Warcraft, had no intention of learning how, but just had a character dressed like Gandalf. And I was just on headset doing a really terrible Ian McKellen voice. Um, and I did, did this for a while and it actually got, it got pretty popular. Um, and I announced that I wanted, I was an alliance player. I announced that I wanted to go on a pub crawl, uh, around the orc capital city, which is an enemy capital city. Uh, and a massive horde PvP guild decided to honor my request, uh, and guarded me. Uh, as I as I walked walked around trying to go on this pub crawl in their capital city, of course it all fell apart in about five minutes um, as people stream sniped and and just murdered the life out of me again and again and again. <laughs> but it was just a real touching moment to reach the border of Horde territory, uh, landing on their their continent, and just have these incredibly intimidating high level players just escort me like a motorcycle gang. <laughs> I love that. You basically got the riot police to try and keep you safe. <laughs> and it was pity that, that stayed their hand. Uh, there's someone has done games... Uh, Man- Manuel Correa has uh, done a gif. He simply responded to the question of um, which betrayal hurt you the most in the form of a gif which is of Mario and Yoshi leaping across a gap, but then Mario suddenly leaping off of Yoshi so that he can reach the uh, kind of move, <laughs> the moving end point <laughs> banner. You know that banner in Mario World that would go up and down, and you would have to try and hit the hit the pole to get the most points? Yeah. Uh, and Yoshi just kind of descending into the abyss, the ultimate betrayal. Oh, and it just focuses in on Yoshi's eye, just narrowing with a tear coming out of it. A tear of rage. <laughs> it's very good. I'm actually going to link that tweet because it, it in the description because it's so... It's, it's powerful. A fun, it's a fun one. That's great. There's a... In terms of multiplayer games, there was a Call of Juarez game that for some reason decided that cowboys weren't in fashion anymore and instead it would leap to the modern day and you played as a DEA agent. And it had a multiplayer mode where you were fighting against drug cartels and I think it was a three-player like co-op experience. But each of the three players had like a personal mission that they could optionally complete during multiplayer rounds. And it would be stuff like oh, you have to smuggle uh, some drugs for, that you find in one of the locations during the level, unseen from your two other players. Um, and I remember I and there were mobile phones involved as well, so maybe like you had to call then like a dealer and tell them that the job was done or something like that. So you would end up in a situation where you were fighting through 
Aphrodite style, basically waves of drug cartel enemies, while players try to like sneak off into a side room to get their mobile phone out to make a sneaky little call to someone without <laughs> the other two seeing them. Because once, if you got spotted doing it, then it was like weapons free, and you know you would end up in a fight with your co-op partners. Um, and like that was a that was a terrible game. Call of Juarez games are normally pretty good. The Cartel, which I think was the modern day one, was was terrible. Um, but it was a good idea. Charles Williams that sounds says, really cool. Charles says, "When an enemy pawn slipped behind my ranks, and suddenly there was a queen in my back garden. That garden was supposed <laughs> to be a quiet place for contemplation and reflection." <laughs> uh, Matthew Malak says, "Killing every marine in Halo." Because they got in my way. <laughs> <laughs> Proper betrayal. Kanan Lynch 2, I think, had a multiplayer mode as well. Kanan Lynch is one of those games which just absolutely should not have had multiplayer, I think. Um, but I'm pretty sure it was that that had a multiplayer mode where you were stealing money from locations with your co-op partners, but then you were sort of incentivized in some ways to like, to work together throughout most of the level but then you had to escape at the end in like a, a truck like a, a getaway vehicle um sort of equivalent i suppose to uh, again in left for dead where you're like getting on the helicopter at the end of a mission but because you were ranked in some ways based on your personal haul of money that you'd managed to steal during the mission that meant that oftentimes you would work together with all your partners until you were on the way out of the building heading towards the van or whatever, in which case you might end up killing your co-op partners and just taking the sacks of money they were carrying for yourselves and loading them into the vehicle and driving off with all of it. Um, and I always quite kind of liked that fit quite well within the... basically that game being heat in some level. <laughs> heat on a, re a really low level. Cool. I think that's as many betrayals as I can deal with right now. Absolutely, is... absolutely full of vitamin B. <laughs> uh, but thank you both for coming on and talking about how you uh, were betrayed by Rebel Scum and also betrayed one of your friends uh, while they were out of wake. That was a uh, good, good it was a great confession. <laughs> um, it was just a comic. It was just a comic. <laughs> Keep telling yourself. He, he got a third. He got a third series in the end. It's fine. He just had to wait a few years. Uh, thank you both. If you have any themes that you want to send to us um, thanks again to Tom for sending this one in, if you have any themes you want to send us send it to podcast at rockpapershotgun.com you can find us on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube at rockpapershot uh, we like to hear your themes, uh, suggestions and topics uh, Neat, you're on Twitter, what's your Twitter? It's at Frog Croakley, so F-R-O-G-C-R-O-A-K-L-E-Y. And love to see you there. Follow Nate on Twitter uh, if you want more stories about Roman debauchery. And Graham, you're on Twitter as well. 
I'm at Gonas, G-O-N-N-A-S. I very rarely tweet, though, so don't don't follow me on Twitter. Don't follow Graham on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. I'm Brendy underscore C. And uh, that's it. You've been listening to the Electronic Wireless Show. It was good that you listened to it. And now we're going to go away. Thanks, friends. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. We're playing all the football, we're scoring all the goals. We're playing all the football, we're scoring all the goals. Oh yes, we're playing all the football, we're scoring all the goals. We're playing all of the football and we're scoring all of the goals.